put your mind to rest while listening as I read a story. A story full of adventure and fun. Feel yourself sinking into your pillow. Take a deep breath. Breathe it out. And count from three, two, one. Relax completely. In this episode, I am going to be reading chapter 20. September 11, Fort Greenhow, Washington. Early the next morning, before anyone was up, Sarah knocked softly on the inside of the door of Rosie's room. She had an agreement with the guard, two sharp raps, and then one more, and he would know she needed to slip out something. Thank heavens, she thought, as she went out the front door, that once Rose settles down after her tossing and turning, she sleeps heavily. Outside in the mist from the Potomac that seemed to muffle every sound and at the same time carry it distinctly on the air she found Captain Sheldon directing his men in a morning drill. Their footsteps tattooed a muffling rhythm on the cobblestone street. Seeing her, Sheldon ordered them at ease and came running out. Where are you off to? I couldn't sleep. The confectioners Do you want anything? No, but I did want to ask you to come out walking with me this afternoon when you get your time off. Maybe we can get some ice cream. Sarah was startled, but quickly she said yes. I'd like that. Even though Sarah was startled, She was in such a state of excitement at what she discovered last evening about the tapestry that she loved all the world this morning. In spite of that, she was determined to not tell Sheldon of her discovery. This bit of information was all her own. As she walked along the morning streets, skirting a gaggle of geese, horses pulling delivery wagons clopped by her on the on the cobbled pavement. A morning church bell tolled. Smart-looking carriages went by her, 
pulling by sleek horses, and she knew they would turn in the front drive of the White House, just two blocks ahead. The president rose early. Sarah had heard from some. Others said he never slept, and that he ate only apples, and that Mrs. Lincoln was already famous for her elaborate parties, and her visiting southern relatives, and for spending enormous amounts of money on frippery. She found it hard to believe that the intelligence she was about to give over to Iris in the confectioners might help President Lincoln himself that sometime in the next day or two an aide might tell him, Mr. President, next day or two we've received word from Pinkerton one of his spies has discovered that Mrs. Greenhouse sends messages to the South by way of her tapestry. What would her father say if he knew? He, who had called her a dunderhead when he wasn't calling her stupid. Fish and oyster peddlers went by in their wagons calling out for customers. Sarah knew that the price of fish had risen drastically because rebel batteries practicing on the Potomac had frightened off the fishermen and ruined the nets. In her reticule, she now had paper money, gold, silver coins were fast being driven from circulation. Secretary Chase Greenbacks, the money was being called, and markets were refusing to give change on them for any purchase less than 60 cents. Sarah went into the confectioners. They were just opening up, and she was the first customer good. May I help you? The man behind the counter asked. The smell of freshly baked bread filled Sarah's nose and made her hungry. Yes, I'd like some cinnamon buns, she told him. But first, I'd like to see Iris. On her way home, the newsboys were out waving copies of the Daily Chronicle. Sarah paid no mind to them at first, then did. It was something about the rebel woman spy and a letter. She gave the newsboy one of the secretary Chase's greenbacks, not expecting change, and scanned the front page. Rose Greenhow had sent a letter to Mr. Seward which the paper said had somehow been smuggled out of her mansion where she was a prisoner and was soon to be published in both the New York Herald and the Richmond Whig to the embarrassment of President Lincoln. 
Sarah ran all the way back to the house on 16th Street. Breathlessly, she ran up the steps, inside, and again up more steps to Rosie's room. Where were you? Rose turned from her dressing table, where she sat in her silken robe. I wanted you to comb out my hair for me. Sarah remembered that she must act like a maid, that if she were indignant, it must be because she was Rose's maid, and for no other reason. Well, on that account, she had reason enough to be indignant. It says in the Chronicle that you have to change your clothing with sight of your brutal male captors, that you have had some rough handling, that there's general indecency in this house and, well, drunken brawling. Oh, how can you? We've all treated you with such consideration. Rose got up from her dressing table, stool, and came to the back. My, these smell wonderful. Did you get them for me? Her voice heard. Sarah shook the newspaper in her face. Why did you write such lies about us? My dear, I'm so sorry, Rose said, but I had to. I must get the attention of those in power. What I must do is lash out at the statesmen who have been my friends and have now turned against me. Do you think I will be able to do that by telling the world that you get up early in the morning to fetch me cinnamon buns and that Lieutenant Sheldon gets me yarn and becalms my nerves with whiskey? Sarah sat down on a nearby chair, her breath spent. I think you are hateful, she said. I know you do. Now, it was Rose's turn to soothe her, and I am sorry. I know I owe both you and Captain Sheldon an apology, and I tender it most humbly, but you do understand child i must do this and it will bring results you will see sarah you've got to get away from that house captain sheldon looked across the table at her in thompson's drugstore the very place she had first met kate warren so long ago was it that long ago no, a month, six weeks. She felt so much older than when she'd left the army. She knew her way around Washington now, at least this part of it. And she was able to discuss the events of Washington. Along with everybody else, she wondered if President Lincoln was going to nullify the emancipation of slaves that Fremont had freed in the West, and how long General Winfield Scott, who was older than the Constitution, 
would be in command of the Union Army. Or, if Mrs. Lincoln's visiting relatives really were smuggling secrets to the South. She was, in many ways, proud of herself. The old Sarah, the one who swapped her father's hogs back in Michigan, who shot Ezekiel Kunkel, his hat off, would never have concerned herself with events in their small town, let alone the country. Now, she could discuss with the best of them how President Lincoln had said it would be good to have God on his side, but he must have Kentucky. No to reader, I don't like this prior sentence, but yeah, we're moving on. Note, we can't give God words. His words are his own. Okay, Sheldon was still gazing at her across the table. Only now, his look had intensified and Sarah sensed that something was coming. Why do I have to get out of that house? She asked. Because you look wan and thin and nervous and you weren't like that when you first came here. And there's evil in that house. He blushed. Sarah, do you believe in evil? Sarah thought of her father, of the way he knocked her mother about something and knew she did. Yes, she said. Well, it's there, in that house. You can almost smell it sometimes. And I care about you, Sarah. Surely you know that by now. He reached out his hand and touched hers on the table. Sarah blushed. She had wanted to hear those words from him, dreamed about hearing them, and now that they were said, she wished they hadn't been. She was not the kind of girl to enjoy his discomfort, to play with his feelings. She believed in honesty between people, especially between men and women. She did not withdraw her hand. That would be rude by her standards. Her feelings for Captain Sheldon confused her so. When she was with him, she was happy. She knew that, happier than she'd ever been. And the world around was painted in brighter strokes, so she appreciated the sights and sounds and smells. It was as if she'd been blind, deaf and dumb before, and now she'd been given all her senses. Yet, she knew enough not to trust such feelings. Sarah had never wanted to be one of those young women who languished over a man who made him the whole centre of her world, whose every thought was aimed to please him. Even at home in Michigan, 
she'd considered such girls foolish. Here she was, sitting in an ice cream parlor, nearly holding hands with a man who made her heart run fast, who made her head whirl. Here she was, come hundreds of miles, a girl who'd served in the Union Army and was now employed as a spy for a famous detective agency and she was no better than anybody else. That thought dismayed her. Almost as much as the nagging doubts she had about Sheldon. Did he want her out of the house because she was in the way of the job he was doing? Or because he truly was concerned about her? I'll be alright, she told him. You needn't worry for me. I faced more than Rose Greenhow. Evil he said again, and he leaned his handsome face toward her. I mean it, Sarah. There is evil in that house, and you should be out of there. There's a war on, she said. There's evil all around. If you want to use that word, truly, I'll be fine. Just so long as you know you can come to me when things get out of hand. He told her, promise me you'll do that. Sarah, forgive me for being so bored, but I think I'm falling in love with you. I know that is normal times and circumstances we wouldn't even have met. But like you said, there's a war on and everything is topsy-turvy. Everything's changed. What say you to that, Sarah Dawson? What could she say? I like you, too, Sheldon, she told him. She was trembling inside. She could scarce make her voice work right. Happiness flooded through her. But Sarah was too much her father's daughter to believe in such happiness. Hearing Sheldon say he loved her only brought on the new problem of how to banish the differences between their worlds. The world occupied by Rose Greenhow and Mrs Eugenia Phillips was like Sheldon's, but not hers. It was out of her grasp. She could discuss what was going on in Washington, but she knew instinctively that she was only a spectator and never would be a part of it. She knew this without question or without bitterness as to her lot in life, but she knew it with every inch of her bones. She looked at Sheldon and smiled weakly. Where would I go if I left? I ran away from home, Sheldon. I never told you that. I can't go back. Not for now, at least. He nodded. I could help get you another position 
if you wanted. Remember, my boss is General McLennan. He knows a lot of genteel families in Washington. It's good of you to care so much, Sheldon. I told you why, and I meant it. Can't you say more than you like me? He grinned. Little Rose said, I might have a chance with you. Oh, Little Rose, she blushed again. I do have feelings for you, Sheldon, but we come from such different backgrounds. The war is going to change all that. Sarah shrugged. Let's get through the war first and see. She smiled prettily at him. I think I'll stay where I am for now, she said quietly. But it's good to know you'll help me if need arises. You are quite a girl, Sarah, Sheldon said. Not like any other girl I've ever met, ever. And since you are determined to stay, you should know that Rose is going to be visited by lots of important people now that her letter has gotten out. I've been forewarned, and we've got to be ready to receive them. September 15, Fort Greenhow, Washington. Mrs. Poole was taking the oath of allegiance to the United States in the back parlour. Why doesn't she just escape from prison here like she did in West Virginia? Rose asked Sarah. She tied knotted bedsheets together. Surely she could do that here if she wants to get out. Sarah was getting out of Rose's best black bombazine dress. The one with the small net ruffles so she could receive her visitors. Colonel Thomas Marshall Key, the one administering the oath to Mrs. Poole, was the first to arrive. At first glimpse of him, Sarah had determined that he was elegant and gentlemanly and full of concern for the woman prisoners as well as slightly deaf. Mrs. Poole had accepted $50 in gold from the United States government and promised to go on her way and give no more trouble to the United States. Fool, Rose said bitterly as she sat at her desk in a corner writing, it may as well be 20 pieces of silver as was given to Judas. I knew that woman couldn't hold on. She gave information to rebel leaders in Kentucky and now they let her go. Well, they won't get me. I'll not take an oath to any union and I'll not wear that dress. Sarah Dawson, so you may as well put it away. Sarah had expected this. For her visitors, Rose would not allow any undue fuss 
even though Sarah and Medora and Lizzie Fitzgerald all insisted that the house should be thoroughly cleaned and she should wear her best. I told you, Rose insisted angrily, that I'm wearing my oldest calico and if I had one older, I'd wear that. And I want little Rose in her shabbiest dress and shoes. You tell Lizzie Fitzgerald that if she dresses up fancy, she'll be out of this house. This is a prison. Little Rose and I are prisoners and we'll do it up proudly. Thank you. Sarah sighed, put away the bombazine gown and reached for the old calico. Rose put it on. They are going to try to convince me to take the oath to you. I just know it. They don't know what to do with me, Sarah. After that letter of mine appeared in the newspapers, they dare not hang me, are afraid to release me, and would like to encourage me to escape in order that they might catch me and spirit me away. Sarah helped her secure the dress in the back. Her figure was still girl-like. She noticed with envy, and she's my mother's age. And even in faded calico, she would likely charm her male visitors. And they are embarrassed because they hold my child prisoner also. Rose finished. No, don't fix my hair, Sarah. Leave it. I want to look so disheveled as I could possibly be. I must be careful not to act like Mrs. Poole or Mrs. Baxley. These men hold our fates in their hands, dear child. If I act mad, they will put me away. She took her place in her chair beside her desk and insisted the men be brought up to her. There were two of them now, waiting. She must keep them waiting, she told Sarah. Just long enough, but not over long, like when a woman is courting. She smiled sweetly. Men are all the same, dear. Whether they are 16 or 60, they are helpless against a woman's charms. You may tell them they may come up now. I will receive them. Sarah ran downstairs. In the parlour, Captain Shelton was sitting and chatting with Colonel Key and the Secretary of the Navy, Gustavus Fox, who was fat-bearded, jolly and extremely embarrassed about his mission. I wish to meet this lady who has become so celebrated in the eyes of the world, he said. But Sarah had the feeling that the last thing in the world he was prepared to do was to meet Rose Greenhow. 
Rose would eat him for supper. She decided nothing less. Sadly, all good things must come to an end. So, I bid you good night. Sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite.